0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scott's sale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com.
1: Now, even more than ever, you need to hook up with some folks who have done it for 10, 15, 20 years, and they can stop a lot of pain and a lot of agony that you might have. Because being a lawyer is tough. You're dealing with crisis all the time in most areas of law.
2: Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, my friend, it's good to talk to you. I'm excited about our guest today.
3: I am, too. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, and I don't know why we haven't had him on at this point. Uh, we probably should have had him on a long time ago. Uh, do you want to say who it is?
2: Yeah, he's certainly one of our uh, biggest supporters. He came to Max Con last year, and he was much taller than I thought from seeing him on video. Um, he's a good friend of the show. He's a plaintiff's attorney doing lots of different stuff in Florida and in Indiana, and his name's Guy Martino. Guy, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Jim. Appreciate it. All right,
3: guys. So you know the routine. So tell us about your background and how you got to where you are now.
1: So I first started as a first trained as a chiropractic physician. I graduated National College in the Chicago area in 1986. I practiced in Florida for a a little bit of time and then moved up to Northwest Indiana because of some family concerns. And I practiced um, in Northwest Indiana until 2003 as a chiropractic doctor. In the late 90s, uh, I was starting to get a little bit stale with um, chiropractic. So I lived in uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, and there's a law school there. And I had a lot of friends that were lawyers, and I dealt with lawyers a lot. So I said, well, let me go into this law thing. Let, let me try, you know, this law thing. And so I took a couple of classes, and then uh, they sort of liked me, so they gave me a scholarship for, to go for nothing. So I so I jumped in uh, full uh full-time, and I graduated Valparaiso in 1999. And then I practiced actually chiropractic and uh, law. I had two suites across the, street, across the hall from each other, and no, I didn't refer to myself for injury cases, just in case you wanna know that, Tyson. And so then in 2003, I decided I wanted to uh, move back to Florida to be closer to my parents. And then, uh, so in 2003, I decided to move down back to Florida. I closed up my uh, shop in Indiana, but I brought a number of files with me. And then uh, I practiced in the Orlando area for a relatively large insurance defense firm. I traveled all over the country doing uh, med mal defense, traveled about 40 weeks a year and started getting old. So then I, you know, I always had the the plaintiff's blood in me. So I went to a plaintiff's firm, and then and then I went and started on my own. And then my daughter, my lovely daughter, decided to have a a child, and she's up in Northwest Indiana. So we sort of migrated back up to Northwest Indiana. And uh, so now I'm splitting my time between Northwest Indiana, right outside Chicago, and right outside of Orlando and uh, just northwest of Orlando in Florida. So
2: that brings me to today. Guy, that's that's a really interesting story. I'm sure a lot of people didn't know all that about you. And I bet that um, it's unusual that a chiropractor goes to medical school. So I'm sure that you were an interesting person to have at the law school. Um, what What lessons did you learn running a chiropractic practice that transferred over to running a law firm. Yes, a chiropractic
1: practice is very uh people oriented. And you know, when you look at folks that are in medicine, you know, they get their referrals from the hospital. Somebody goes into the ER and they're on a patch when they when they leave, they get a list of doctors follow up with an orthopedic doctor. That's just not the case with chiropractic. So what generally as what I see with chiropractors on on the whole is that a lot of them are very entrepreneurial. They're able to, they really work on their people skills and they're able to do it. Because if you don't go out and shake the bushes and bring in your, your own business, you really do not have referral sources. So uh, that's what I see generally. That's probably the biggest thing, you know, dealing with folks in times of crisis. You know, somebody comes into your chiropractic office, a lot of times they're in pain, they have something going on. Something comes into your law office, a lot of times they're in pain, they have something going on.
3: So, Guy, there, there are a lot of listeners that have multiple offices or they want to have multiple offices. How are you able to manage your two offices, uh, and, and give me tips for the listeners uh, on how to do it more effectively.
1: Well, I don't know that I do it effectively. You know, so last year, so so initially when I had both offices, I had a partner in my, my Northwest uh, Indiana office that I had for a, a number of years. We went to law school together. And as folks who are involved in the mastermind experience know, I went through a pretty tough breakup with my partner. Uh, and it was, you know, really, it really affected me emotionally. And you know, that happened last August. So then, when I, when I uh, came and, and broke off with him, I brought some staff from from that office, and that just didn't work because they um, they they had the same type of attitude. So one day I came in and I just said, everybody's got to go. And I was a true solo there for about 60 days. But the way that I manage the offices and the way that I manage the offices now, it's pretty much most of my staff is in Northwest Indiana. And we that's sort of like the hub. And then I have uh, part-time staff in my Florida office. And then I manage everything through, you know, the computer. I use my case. Everything gets uploaded to my case. I, you know, I use Google Docs. I
2: use OneDrive. I use, you know, apps along those lines. Guy, yeah, would you mind talking a little bit about that mindset of Clearing House and why you wanted to transition to going solo? One of our members in the group, Todd Smith, has been talking about this on Facebook, and I thought you might have some advice or thoughts for him or anyone else thinking along those lines.
1: Yeah. So before I went into business with the person that was my friend um, you know my wife sort of liked him and pushed me into it and I love my wife and she's a you know she's a an accountant and an MBA and you know we do things together but I said you know there's sort of I, I had some drawbacks and, and concerns and she's like guy you know you are always looking at things from the bad side from the cup. Cl- you know, half-empty type style. And I said, well, honey, I, I sort of have these concerns. So I get into the practice, and we were just not equally yoked. You know, I wanted to go ahead and uh, do things to develop the practice and work together. And he was just set it in his mindset, and it and it just didn't work. And I think part of the issue is he's a criminal defense lawyer. And so when you're a criminal defense lawyer, people come in, you get the money from them, And and whether you win, lose, or draw, you still get paid. When you do stuff on a contingency fee basis, you have to be more discerning in the way that you, you, you look at your cases. And a lot of times within a week or a minute or a day, you have to decide whether you're going to take the matter or whether you're going to cut it loose. Because once you're into the matter, you put your time, your energy, your soul, and everything into it. And that was the big difference in, in, our, in our makeup. And so we were just not you know, yoked in the right way. We, were, we just didn't see things the right way. And it was just a constant battle. And I just hated going into the office after a few years. I, I, I couldn't stand the, the staff. It just didn't, didn't work for me. I was like miserable and it was just driving me crazy. Now we're actually, now that I'm not with him anymore, we've developed our friendship again. So it's sort of, you know, working out. But it's just like going through a divorce. I mean, you go through the, the guilt. You go through the, you know, remorse. You go through the anger. You go through the, the frustration. Even now, you know, I decided when I was going to break up that I wasn't going to argue over fees. I was still going to give him this cut on all the files. And sometimes, you know, writing a a check, you know, a a decent sized check, I get a little angry, but then I just take a breath and say, in the long run, this is all going to be better. So I decided to not, you know, fight with him, not do anything so we could, you know, both live because I'm busy enough and I don't need to put my time and energy and frustration into that situation. Does that sort of make sense? That makes perfect sense. I, I love the mindset. I mean, I,
3: you and I went through something very, very similar um, around the same time. And mine wasn't as, as painful as yours. Mine was actually pretty, pretty easy. And it was done within a week, actually. So then um, we are, our, our partnership didn't go on as long as yours. So uh, it's, I I love the mindset, just kind of make it a clean break and be done with it. But I I'm a, I have a different question that's related to that. When you cleaned house and you were completely solo,
1: what what was the uh, how are your clients responding to that? Most of them were okay. I think people understood that it was a transition and uh, my wife jumped in to help and she's very personable and generally knows a lot of folks and is is really articulate and really good so I, it was okay. You know, you always hear the same the same stuff from folks which are like where is so and so? Or they call up and they want to know, speak to so and so, who they've been speaking with regarding their claim. But I just gave them direct access to me, and so it was, you know, a lot more work on my part. But I didn't find a really big problem.
2: Guy, one of the things that I really admire about you is your your growth mindset and how you're always striving to improve. And you know, you you're in John's mastermind. You came to Max Law and. I know you do a lot of other things to sort of keep fresh. How do you sort of view the world when it comes to continuing education, like real world education?
1: Well, I think that's you know,
2: if you don't grow, if you're not growing and striving, you're
1: really dying. I mean, I, you know, I really try to work on on making myself a better person. Um, You know, but with that, I have a lot of interests. And, you know, it's sort of a, a struggle with me because I have all these interests. And I like doing a lot of different things. And I know that everybody speaks, you know, you really need to focus and you really need to to put things, you know, make it laser like you just do immigration. Like Tyson pretty much, you know, puts himself out there as a car accident lawyer, you know, I'm board certified by the Florida Bar and Civil Trial Law. And I pretty much I have a lot of different interests. So I like to do all things that sort of touch health care. So I do injury work. I do medical malpractice. I represent doctors in the false claims acts. You know, I do things like that. And so sometimes it's sort of difficult because I hear, and the big struggle I'm, ha- I'm having now is I hear everybody saying, "Well, you need to niche niche down. You need to niche down." And I'm trying to define my niche, and I really think that my niche is being a civil trial lawyer. And I and I would love to hear from some of the other folks who are civil trial lawyers. I really think somebody like Gary Berger, you know, has the same position that if it comes to litigation and it comes to civil litigation, that's his in his wheelhouse. So, I mean, that's sort of what I'm struggling with now. So it's interesting. I mean, I when you say civil
3: litigation, I think just everything under the sun except for criminal. So
1: what defines civil litigation in your mind? Okay, so my civil litigation practice is only stuff that involves healthcare. So I don't do divorce. I I, I will do litigation if it involves a healthcare clinic or a hospital. I will do, uh, you know, I for instance, if you were to look at the cases that I have in lit now, I have like four cases that are in uh, that are medical malpractice cases. I have two cases which are uh, defending doctors from the US government who are suing them for uh, false claims act cases. Another case that I just wrapped up with an insurance company was gonna sue a healthcare provider for millions of dollars alleging fraud. I have a m- multiple civil rights cases which involve medical care, both, both on the plaintiff's side And I represent a sheriff's office. I represent a community mental health center. So I deal with, you know, health care. I look at personal injury claims as touching health care because the part of a personal injury claim is it's an injury. So, I mean, that's sort of how I define it. I don't do, you know, business breakups unless it's involving health care. Because involving healthcare, that's something that's within my, you know, wheelhouse. Because I understand how offices work. I understand how staff works. I under- so that sort of does that make sense, Tyson?
3: Yeah, it does. I'm just curious. I mean, and I, I, it sounds like you have a niche. And the other thing is, is I don't, I don't care what you do. I mean, I, it's, I think from a business standpoint, it makes sense to, to niche down as much mm-hmm. as you can. And that's fine. But if if you like doing all those things, you, who cares? You know, who cares what other people think about niching down? And what they, If you enjoy doing all those things, it's great. From my standpoint, I, I don't know how you have systems for each one of those things. And it's got to be extremely
1: difficult. So can you talk about just systemizing just all of that? Well, I mean, I've been doing this long enough where like discovery in like an injury case, if it's a car accident case, I've already had that systemized. If I'm if I'm defend, defending or a or the, or the plaintiff on a civil rights case, I mean, the, the I've already briefed all the major issues, whether it's a Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, or Eighth Amendment issue. So I have all that stuff. You know, I, I, I have it. And litigation is litigation. You file the complaint or you file the answer. you do your written discovery you do you do your depositions, you file your witness and exhibit list so it's no It's no different except when you know I have a good amount of cases in federal court, you know all those cases are on a rocket docket, so you have to be really conscious of of deadlines in in those cases so i don't see it as being different or hard to systemize because no matter where you're doing it, whether it's an auto case or a civil rights case, you still have to deal with the lean companies. You still have to deal with healthcare companies. You still have to deal with you know, all the folks along those lines. So it's really the same. Maybe I'm making it seem too simple or trying to talk myself into that, but I think it's the same.
2: So it's interesting that I, I came, when you were mentioning the issue of niching down more, I certainly agree with Tyson that you don't owe anybody anything. And if you like doing all that stuff, you absolutely should. Tyson immediately went to the issue of systematizing it. And I immediately went to the issue of marketing it, which is something that we do a lot. And so my, my question or my thought would be that, you know, the people that you hire, that hire you to do a civil rights case, they could care less that you do, you know, personal injury or you know, civil litigation between two companies or whatever. So from, from my perspective, where I would find it tricky is having a website that lists me doing all those things as opposed to I don't Okay. Good. Yeah, I'd wanna yeah. i wanna yeah. target one particular audience with one particular website and they 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 don't necessarily even need to know about the other one. Right. And so you know
1: my my um like my defending doctors and FCA claims that's all word of mouth and referral from other lawyers or mediators or or doctors. Um, you know, I I lecture three times a year to a large chiropractic organization in the state of Florida where I have audiences of sometimes 2 3 400 people and I do 6 to 8 hours, you know, of continuing education. So, I I mean, then people will call me regarding their issues. So my facing website and the marketing is really only to consumers and it's really only an injury and
2: in civil rights, you know, front. But what if you one if I, I appreciate getting cases those ways, but what if one and maybe you don't want to be this busy, but one if you took some time in each practice area and said, okay, I'm getting cases from my talk in this practice area, I'm getting cases off the website for um, civil rights cases. One, if there was j- one, if you just did a mind exercise for a month and just said, "Okay, I want to focus on civil rights cases. I want to build out my marketing campaign from start to finish just for civil rights cases," and then do it for each practice area, and then try to maximize each of those practice areas. Maybe you don't want to be that busy, but that's how I would sort of think about it.
1: Yeah, I'm not really looking to grow, um, Jim. So. I want, I I know that like in the group, you see a lot of folks who want to build and get staff and, you know, you have all these people that, you know, want to have multiple lawyers and, you know, they're working on their business versus working in their business. I have come to the realization at my age that I don't play well with others that are actually within my environment. I co-counsel a lot of cases with people. I play well in that respect. So I am not going to bring on associates I am not going to grow. I am going to try to develop a lifestyle practice. So I will review, for instance, 25 or 50 cases before I even decide to sit down with somebody and, and talk to them. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to develop, uh, you know, that. I don't want to, you know, just have all these cases and, and run myself crazy. I'm already running myself crazy enough. So that's sort of my mindset. You know, maybe I need to go back to the nineteen forties as opposed to two thousand and nineteen. But that's sorta of, I want people to like pass a bar to even come into my office.
3: I, I mean I think there are a lot of lessons in that. I think that that's that's actually really good. I, I I think that anyone that really knows you guys knows that you're not conventional in any in any capacity, which is a great actually a, a really good thing. And I like the fact that you set the bar so high. On uh, for I think it's really good. And I also, I, and there's a lot of cool things about this discussion because this is not the typical attorney type of conversation where most people do want to scale and they want to get bigger and they want to have the staff. And I like the idea of this, you know, intersection of law and healthcare system. I think you can have some really, you, you can have a lot of fun with it. I think you from from the marketing standpoint. I'm just curious. When you're when you're let's say you're at a party, you're you're at a barbecue and someone says, Hey guy, what do you do? What do you what do you say?
1: Depends upon the, the it depends upon the barbecue. If it is a barbecue with a lot of healthcare providers, I I I assist healthcare providers with the rules and regulations that get them in trouble. If I'm at a typical barbecue with uh just the average folks, I I assist folks who have been uh, injured in accidents and help them get get the recovery
2: they deserve. Guy, with with so many uh, personal injury lawyers in our group, I'm wondering what advice do you have for them in dealing with healthcare providers? You know, that's tough. So I can tell you, I practice in two
1: different markets, and it really depends upon the market. The Northwest Indiana market, which we're really in Chicago, there's really an inverse relationship between injury lawyers and the healthcare providers. You're fighting with the healthcare providers to get records. You're fighting with them to get bills. It is just really an adverse relationship. In Florida, it's, it's opposite. Maybe because there's so many lawyers and there's so many doctors and there's so much advertising and there's this cottage industry where folks only handle injury cases, where the healthcare providers Don't give you a hard time to get the records. You know, they they get your release, they send them over right away, or they download them to you. So I think it really depends upon the area that you're in, because I'm in both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I have to, I had to sue a doctor recently to get the stupid records in Northwest Indiana. It's just like ridiculous. And I think so part of the area, part of it depends upon where you are practicing. It's funny,
3: guy. I've, I've actually got on my calendar today is a deadline for a doctor to get me the records, otherwise I'm going to back over a lawsuit. I've never actually had to file the lawsuit. I've had to send it over multiple times to providers saying, hey, give me the damn records. It's so, so frustrating. It's, it's I feel your pain. Uh, so in the same vein with that, dealing with the multiple officers, like, what do you struggle with the
1: most trying to manage the two offices? It's tough. Uh, What I struggle with the most is that when you do litigation, sometimes you can't control your own calendar. And, you know, even though the technology is such now where, like in Florida, if you have a hearing, because Florida is such a big state that is less than 15 minutes, under the rules of judicial administration, you have to be able to appear by phone, even though some of the judges don't know the rule. Uh, You know, so, and in federal court, there's some federal courts, you know, I'm I'm sure Jim knows, he's in federal court all the time, that allow you to attend by phone. But there's some judges who are still old school judges, mostly the senior judges, that want you to schlep the court for a 10-minute status conference. So the biggest part about litigation and where I have difficulty is managing the schedule because of so many different entities. I mean, right now I have matters that are pending in the Northern District of Indiana. I have matters in the Northern District of Florida, Middle District of Florida, Southern District of Florida, and you have all these judges with their little fiefdoms, and and so they pull you sometimes in a lot of different directions. So that's the biggest struggle.
2: Guy, um, you are very active in the group, and as you said, we do have a lot of young, younger lawyers or people just starting out with their practices. What advice do you have for for those guys and, and ladies? I
1: think that they need to hook up with somebody in their area or even virtually that can be their sounding board for the skills of being a lawyer. You know, we have a lot of great lawyers in the group. I mean. And we have folks like John Fisher. So if you're somebody who's really thinking about getting into the malpractice, you need, John will be your mentor. Uh, You have folks like, like Wild Bill Umansky. If you really want to learn how to niche down and develop a criminal law practice, you know, you need to speak to somebody like, like Will, because the practice of law is really an apprenticeship. And, you know, the law school allows us to get our ticket but learning how to practice law you really need to surround yourself by really good lawyers and we have so many of them in the group like I, you know I was I was taken back by the the recent podcast that you all had where the guy said you know I really want to do sex crimes and I said you really need to speak with somebody who has done that because I've seen the way it's destroyed some lawyers personally and so you really need, there are so many people out there in our group and everybody is so giving and you don't have to do it in law online in front of anybody else, but you really need to open up the folks and everybody will help you. And if you don't have, and, you know, because the market has sort of constricted and a lot of folks aren't going to work in firms and getting their three to five years of stuff, you, you know, to get their, their, their legs underneath them, they're opening up their own shingle. Now, even more than ever, you need to hook up with some folks who have done it for 10, 15, 20 years, and they can stop a lot of pain and a lot of agony that you might have because being a lawyer is tough. You're dealing with crisis all the time in most areas of law. So true. Such good advice, guy, because they're,
3: especially with the group, I mean, all you gotta do is post something and, and people will reach out to you and give you advice. And so it's, it's, it's really easy these days. I think. Mean, thirty years ago it wasn't so easy, but
1: now it is. The problem with group advice is you get thirty different opinions. My my view of it is you need to find out who is the Mac daddy that does that type of work. Like if you really have a question about SEO or you really have a question about, you know, what you want to do, I mean, give stuff a call he'll give you all the time in the world. He doesn't necessarily want you as a client, but he'll give you all the information. If you have, you know, a question about uh, immigration, give Jim a call, whether you're, even though it's a national practice, Jim will tell you everything that you need to know and what he's learned, you know, in the 20 years that he's been doing it. So, I mean, so I, I appreciate people putting stuff and getting 30 comments. But I don't think that helps people as a general rule.
3: I I love the the, the usage of Mac Daddy. I think you and Jim go to the same old school. So I (laughs) I think it's hilarious that you use Mac Daddy. Um, For 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 my last question, I think you said you you went into law in age six. I think what it was. Uh, It doesn't matter what year it was.
1: What advice would you give yourself back in 90s? 1986 or whatever you started going went to law school. Yeah, I went to law school in '96. I graduated in 1999. Um, I would have spent more time at that period of time getting into the internet. I was sort of a late a late comer, putting myself out there and marketing myself as opposed to marketing the potential firms that I were with. I would have realized that there's really no stability in the practice of law. And the only thing that you have is uh, who you are. And that no matter what area of law you are, no matter whether you're in big law, medium law, small law, or solo, you're an entrepreneur. The
2: people who make it are the people who can develop the work. Guy, you're a great independent thinker. And I really appreciate your perspective on the call today. I think that a lot of times we do get sort of caught up in the growth, 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 build, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle stuff. So I appreciate your perspective. What do what the next five years look like for you? What, what would you view as success five years from now? Well, I think I'm, I'm going
1: to try to pare down my litigation practice and try to pivot a little bit to doing um, more transactional stuff just because of lifestyle changes. Because, you know, litigation really starts taking a toll on you, uh, you know, because it's always, you're always go go, go. So the way I look at it in the next five years is I'm going to have at least a 50% transactional practice, but still doing the same type of stuff, touching healthcare, you know, touch, and as folks are getting older, there's going to be a lot more need in dealing with the healthcare system. Good
3: stuff. All right, guys. So I'm going to start to wrap it up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group. you can connect with other lawyers and get that mentor that you're looking for or just get information or share information, whether, whatever there might be. Also, if you don't mind, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Jimmy, what's your act of the week? I had a very
2: interesting conversation with our own Kent Richardson the other day, and we were talking about... People who say that they want to do videos and say that they want to do podcasts and get started and spend the money to build it out and then, and then they fall off. And, you know, I often attribute the success of this podcast and our continuity to your Tyson's follow through. Um, and I think that it's easy to get distracted, but my hack of the week is to recommit yourself if you've, if you've. Um, put it out there that you want to do something uh, and you just sort of let it fall away. It's not that you made a decision, but you just sort of have been half-assing it. My hack is get back into it. Re- reconnect with why you did it. Figure out why it's important and and double your effort.
1: And this
3: is a bonus hack for your hack. Put it on the calendar. Put it on the calendar every week or every day, whenever you're going to do it. And that's what's going to help you do it. Put it on the damn calendar. All right, guys. So your, you know what the routine is, so give us a tip or a hack, and then also give us some information on your podcast.
1: I've been dealing with this whole issue of niching down, and there was a recent book that just came out from a New York real estate lawyer. Um, his name is Bruce Stachenfeld, and it's if you want to be get rich, build a power of a niche, and he takes you through the way he developed uh, being in a small firm and being in a commercial real estate business in New York City, how he just has taken over the market and the things that he did. So it's a quick read. I mean, each chapter is like a page, a page and a half, and there's like 50 chapters in the book. So it, it makes it makes me think, but I still don't want to to follow that. Uh, I, I don't think I'm there, but I think it would be great for somebody to read and it's what, eight, nine bucks? So the power the power niche: if you want to be rich, build a power niche. Uh, I have a couple of the podcasts. Podcast. I have a couple of them. Uh, the personal injury law podcast. Tyson, you were on it. Uh, will AD has been on it. we We really try to deconstruct some of the issues with personal injury law, and it's more putting a face on it that we're not all billboard lawyers and tv lawyers and why we've gotten into the the practice and then i also have a chiropractic facing uh podcast called the chiropractic lawyer we discuss things regarding um health we we interview some some doctors we talk about uh you know some asset protection and some of the things that healthcare providers can do i love it if it's right and into kent, your global your global niche it's great and kent actually uh does my work thanks to y'all. So I just upload it to Kent and he puts it on lipsyn and then puts it on the websites and he helps me a lot. He does a great job and he's really responsive.
3: I love it. Alright, so my tip of the week is actually pretty simple. So I had a storage unit. I moved a couple of years ago and I never closed out my my storage unit account. And I finally got around to doing it and public storage has a really simple way of getting Google reviews and they've got a lot of Google reviews online. And so I'm curious to see if other people, whenever they Google public storage in their area, that they've got a bunch of reviews in their area, but St. Louis they do. And it's just a really simple thing. One side is English, the other side is Spanish. And it says, you know, please share your feedback. The person that gives it to you writes their name on it. because They want you to put their personal name into the review because they get they get credit for it. Just it review your experience, give your opinion on Google or Yelp, and help others make a good store's decision. Help others write a review, and they give the get they give a, a review website, and all it's it's really simple. And so, I probably would not have reviewed that place had they not given me this big postcard. It's about a half sheet of paper, so it's not small, um, and it, it, it's a really really simple way of getting reviews. And we all know that those are really
1: really important. So.
3: Uh, I, I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start, uh, taking and then print. I'm going to have something, some printed out. And every time we give a client a check, we're going to give them a, a big old postcard and give them to review. So it's another simple way of doing it. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Actually, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much. I appreciate it. Thank you all. Have a great day and I'll see you all next month. Thanks guys. Right, thanks guys. See ya. Have a good day.